it really gained its popularity when Cuba gained its independence. It gained popularity among some American soldiers as well who were volunteers who fought along Cuba during the Spanish-American War. And so it's it's like a freedom drink, basically. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of the Social Drinkers Podcast, where we talk about the art, the science, and the industry of drinking. And each week, we bring a different drink to the podcast. So, Mitch, what are you drinking this week? Oh, well, it's really, really eventful. I have whatever kind of tea that you brought me, because we're recording this at night and have an early wake-up call, so we're not actually drinking this evening i spoiled your drink what what tea did you even bring i it was whatever you brought upstairs yeah so it's <laughs> it's it's spearmint tea uh it's really good for your digestion and for your skin but uh we also drank a lot this past weekend we went on a trip and to dc and we went to amazing bars but we drank a little too much so I'm we are just like we cannot drink one more alcoholic beverage so we need something healthy that's true Couldn't be me could not be me <laughs> what did you bring <laughs> what did I bring Mitch I brought myself a little late night snack <laughs> there it is Some <laughs> right here in my little glass the late night just, snack yeah, just a, a neat pour a neat pour you need an influencer deal because we we did that TikTok video where you're talking about Salvare being your late night snack and you should just get some billboard made with you holding up a glass of it saying late night snack. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that would be great. Crank up a movie at midnight. Salvare. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um dessert beverages though like cocktails wines they are slowly becoming my replacement for actual dessert this past weekend when we were in dc we had dessert wine for our dessert it was on the dessert menu it was so good well kate a little fun fact for you a sign of functioning alcoholics is replacing food with alcohol so you better be careful <laughs> uh-oh uh-oh I'm I'm just not much of a sweets eater. I'd rather drink my sweets. I'd rather get wasted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I would rather get a good alcohol than eat a dessert. I don't know why. I I think it's because we're dairy and gluten free, not by choice. And so dessert for us kind of sucks. So I'd rather mm -hmm. just have dessert wine as well. But for those I, who have seen grown ups, this is a glass of chocolate wasted chocolate wasted <laughs> and it's awesome <laughs> let's get chocolatey wasted <laughs> well what everybody bring i'll go first today yeah. yeah all right so i have probably if you know me in in real life i have told i think every single person about the history of this cocktail um but i just find it really fascinating and interesting so Today, we're going to be talking about the history of the Cuba Libre. And if you don't know what the Cuba Libre is, it is the actual name 
for essentially the rum and coke, the modern day rum and coke. The go-to. The go-to. Yeah. It is it is a go-to at like literally every bar. It's a go-to for so many people. And I think that they're the history behind it is so interesting. And I feel like so many people don't know that the cocktail that they're drinking every single day, whenever not every single hopefully not every single day, <laughs> every weekend when they go to the out to the bars. And so I I'm bringing it to the podcast this week. So the Cuba Libre, which is essentially the modern day rum and coke. Um, the original recipe is basically the same, but you actually add a lime. So it's it's honestly it's made with it's actually made with white rum, not dark rum, which I feel like typically when you order a rum and coke, it's dark rum. But a Cuba Libre is white rum, Coca-Cola, actual Coca-Cola, not a version of it. And then fresh lime juice, and then you serve it in a highball glass garnished with a lime wedge. So during the 19th century, during the Spanish-American War in Havana, Cuba, is where the Cuba Libre was born. It means free Cuba because it really gained its popularity when Cuba gained its independence. It gained popularity among some American soldiers as well who were volunteers who fought along Cuba during the Spanish-American War. And so it's it's like a freedom drink, basically, for Cubans. And so I thought that was really interesting because it just holds like a lot of significance because it means freedom and it was used as a celebration drink when Cuban won the war, when Cuba won the war. Uh, Cuban liberation, if you would. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I've I've gone through so many cocktail histories and recipes and stories and everything like that. Now I don't know that we have a patriotic cocktail. Do we? Am I forgetting one? Beer. Right. It, right. <laughs> beer. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think Not that like- we. Not like this. I don't. Right. I don't believe. Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to actually look look that up. Uh, but I don't think like this. Like this is a still to this day a very important cocktail to the Cuban community. Ray, I dare you to go to the bars at college and order a Cuba Libre, and then when they serve you up a Lady Bly and Pepsi, you should throw it back in their face and tell them that you want a Cuban <laughs> liberation. <laughs> you're insulting yeah, you're insulting a whole culture of people It'd be hilarious well, i do I, oh, I was i do think that's a really interesting history because it i always thought it was a throwaway cocktail it mm-hmm. i i always thought it wasn't even a cocktail it's just a mixed drink that yeah that's what i thought and so the fact that there's some significance to it is is pretty cool Nobody yeah. does it right, but right, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've literally never had a Cuba Libre, so <laughs> my favorite cocktail, the Captain there, and Coke. There you go. <laughs> see, see, not even, not even right because it's not white rum. Well, yep. but maybe you I will say, Captain, if, but... if, if I'm served Captain and Coke without a lime, I, I am a little upset about it. Mm. So, ah, maybe interesting. You limes at, in yeah. college, hell yeah, really? Oh yeah, dude. At OU, you would get a Dixie cup with the cheapest rum you could ever buy in the world and whatever was left of the fountain machine. I will say, I'm not sure all the bars do. And 
by the time I get to some of them, I probably don't care. Well, that's but true. The bars that I go to to start my night, yes, I get a line. <laughs> Love it. That's interesting. I, I that's a cool, a cool history. Ray, what what mm-hmm. did you bring this week? Well, I brought something that was brought to my attention by our uncle Don. For those of you who don't know who our uncle Don is, he's a very tall man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that's that's the description I'll give you. Yep. Um, so if you ever see somebody really tall and skinny, could be him. <laughs> <laughs> of the millions but, of people out there, it could be him. Yeah, just shout Uncle Don. You might find him. <laughs> but Tutwater, it's a brand. Uh, a lot of people know it by their drink, Ranch Water, which isn't their drink. I actually learned that that's a cocktail. Never knew that, that ranch water was a cocktail. If you type in ranch water on Google, I figured the first thing that would pop up was the cut water cans of ranch water. Yeah. It's actually recipes for the ranch water cocktail. Interesting. Okay. I never knew that. So that's an interesting fact alone. But on top of that, cut water makes tons of other drinks um, and they're all canned cocktails, right? So they have the lime margarita, the tiki rum Mai Tai, the vodka mule and the mango margarita. And I'm not sure if they have any more. I'm sure they probably do. But that's just the four that pop up on their home screen when you type them in. Um, and supposedly, I, I'm not, I've not had them. But I've heard from my Uncle Don that they're very good. Our Uncle Don. My bad. Our Uncle Don. Did, <laughs> did you? You didn't taste one? I didn't either. I've had we ranch there. water. I don't like it. Okay. I, yeah, I, I don't really like the ranch water either. Actually, I'd be curious to know what that original cocktail is because it's actually interesting that it's a cocktail. I thought ranch water, I didn't even know the brand was called Cut Water. I literally thought the brand was ranch water. Well, that's what so I always that. thought. So we were sitting by the pool and Uncle Don's talking about Cut Water. And I was like, what the heck is Cut Water? And he pulls up a picture of the can and I was like, that's ranch water. And then he started showing me, and like he said that he had the tiki rum mai tai, and he said it was killer, like really, he, really good. He said he doesn't like seltzers and canned cocktails much either, and he said they're not as sweet and they don't have that malty taste. So, be something worth experimenting with because I, I actually for a seltzer, am okay with ranch water. I feel like it's a little bit lighter on that taste, so the cocktails might be similar in that way yeah I, yeah i actually i pulled up the cocktail so it's a west texas recipe where ranch water like that's where ranch water originated and ranch water is just tobo chico and lime juice uh, but the cocktail you add blanco tequila so the like ranch water is it was made into a cocktail, but it's very common. It looks like it's very common for you to make it not in a cocktail. So it makes sense why it's light and refreshing because it's literally just sparkling water and lime juice with some yeah. tequila. Yeah, I'd like to try it. I don't think we looked it up. We can't buy it near us. I don't think I, I'm sure you could buy it and have it shipped to your house. But I think in Ohio, or at least in Cleveland, we couldn't find a location if I remember right. Gotcha. So, yeah cut water i am bringing something near and dear to my heart and i think near and dear to kate's heart so i was doing a little bit of thinking about what i should bring to the podcast and i realized that i haven't talked about one of my favorite things 
on the podcast, which is the history of Buffalo Trace Distillery. And this is a fun one. It's wide ranging, lots of change, lots of conflict. And I don't know, Ray, if you've ever heard anything about it, but Kate, I know you and I did the tour together. And so you probably have a good grasp on some of this stuff, but Ray, do you know, it's probably a good spot to start the brands that are associated with Buffalo Trace. I don't. So Buffalo Trace, in my opinion, has some, and a lot of people's opinions. <laughs> not just mine. I'm not some. Uh, I'm not some like you know pioneer thinking that Buffalo Trace is great. But a lot of people would agree that Buffalo Trace has some of the best whiskey brands in the world. The most legendary of which being Pappy Van Winkle. So that sits under the umbrella of Buffalo Trace. That brand is, if you're familiar with the bourbon world, very expensive, very, it's got a lot of allure surrounding it. It's very desired by every single bourbon collector. I've tasted it. It's very good. I would argue, and I'm going to upset some some purists maybe here, I would argue that Blanton's is very close to being on par with Pappy Van Winkle. I've tasted both of them. And I think for the price difference, Blanton's is very close to equal. And like I said, probably going to piss some people off with that, but I just struggle to think that there's a $3,000 difference between those bottles of bourbon. And so that leads me to Blanton's. That's another one. I would recommend that as, and Kate, I don't know if you'd second this or disagree. If you're looking for an expensive bourbon that doesn't break the bank, Blanton's is, in my opinion, hands down the best one. Define doesn't break the bank. It's still pretty expensive. It's expensive. I said an expensive bottle, but doesn't break the bank. So to put that in perspective, there are bottles of bourbon out there that are thousands of dollars. Pappy Van Winkle being one of them. Blanton's is like 150, 200 bucks. Yeah. So if okay. you're looking would, for something. Yeah, I would agree. Very nice that you're going to drink once in a while, special occasions. You, ha you have a kid and you want to have a, a celebratory drink or I don't know, something happens. W whatever you celebrate, I don't know. You want to have a nice little pour of bourbon? Blanton's is Whatever a great option for that. Yeah, people celebrate all different kinds of stuff. I mean, people celebrate graduating from preschool. I don't know. Grab your oh. preschooler and give them some Blanton's. <laughs> yeah, some yeah. Give, them a give them a shot of Blanton's after they graduate preschool. Set them on the right track. Set them on the right track. Make a man. Make a man. <laughs> but anyway... This distillery has a long, long history to it. It's actually the oldest continuously operating distillery in America, which I thought was very interesting, dating back to 1773. I do not wow. know what the oldest distillery that's not continuously operating is. I didn't look into it that far, so I apologize. The, probably the one on uh, George Washington's well, I don't know if it's Property. still around. I don't know if it I don't know if that's I don't think that's still around. But Oh, you mean still around but not operating. Right. Yeah. So because of prohibition, that's when the operating took a pause, which is why I'm saying it like So that. like the so, building and everything would still be there, but it's not it's not operating. Functioning. 
this so this happened during prohibition you had many distilleries that were founded and producing whiskey and then prohibition stops everything well it didn't stop buffalo trace we're going to get there but first i want to touch on in 70, 1773 it wasn't founded as buffalo trace it was founded as old fire copper ofc distillery in franklin yeah, county awesome. kentucky where it is now and so it wasn't actually renamed Buffalo Trace until, let me look at my notes, 1999. Oh my gosh, that's recent. Yeah. And so that's where between 1773 and 1999, there's a ton of change and conflict and everything. So in 1870, there was an expansion of the distillery. That whole facility that we went to was built. George T. Stagg and Colonel E.H. Taylor were involved in this. And so E.H. Taylor is actually one of their nicer bourbon brands that lies under that. And it was named the George T. Stagg Distillery. And so that's what it operated under until 1999 when it became Buffalo Trace. But the really interesting piece of their story is during Prohibition, they were authorized under federal permits to continue commercially producing spirits for medicinal purposes. You've heard of this. If you know anything about prohibition, you've heard of medicinal liquor. Buffalo Trace was a massive producer of that, and it allowed them to be a continuously operating distillery in the U.S. Interesting. So it wasn't Buffalo Trace. It was uh, OF. George, at that time, it would have been George T. Stagg Distillery. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I'm looking up a picture on my phone because we, when we were in D.C., we went to the American History Museum and I took a picture of a medicinal bottle of bourbon. So I'm just very curious to see if it says, okay, so this is bottled in bond by Dorley Distillery and Warehouse. That would that would have been funny if if it was uh Buffalo Trace. It definitely would have been. Yeah, that that they are not the only ones who were medicinal producers yeah. during that time, but they are the oldest continuously operating distillery, which I thought was interesting. And a couple other things to note about Buffalo Trace. Some of the things that I would recommend and that I think others would recommend their whiskey for is they are the first to create a state-of-the-art temperature-controlled aging barn. And so that's part of what they give credit to their whiskey tasting so good and aging so well. They are the first to really produce that state-of-the-art facility. And I can speak to it having been there. It is a state-of-the-art facility. And there is just a lot of there. I used the word earlier, but it's the right word, I think. There's a lot of allure surrounding their facility and their whiskeys and the stories they tell they do a really really great job of touring you through the facility and telling stories about the different people who have been involved in the distillery over time and the awards they've won and they do an amazing tasting and i just highly recommend buffalo trace as a whole there are a lot of different bourbons at different price points that you can try my favorite one if you're looking for a mid-range if you can find it is eagle rare that one is, I believe, maybe 30 bucks. It's nothing crazy, but that's a phenomenal bourbon that I would recommend from them. So I thought it was interesting. I haven't had the chance to go through that on the podcast yet, but yeah, Buffalo Trace. 
check them out. The state-of-the-art facilities are really interesting. When we were doing the tour, they rotate their whiskey barrels because the way that the sunlight comes in to the building at different times of the year and the way that and when sunlight hits the barrel, it aids in the fermentation process differently than when sunlight isn't hitting the barrel. And so they have a very succinct process of like rotating rotating these barrels um, over time, which I thought was really interesting and actually not something we did a few, we've done a few distillery tours and I've never seen that anywhere else other than at Buffalo Trace. Yeah, that's interesting. And as you were talking, I was thinking back to the tour and it's where I heard one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. And I have no idea if this is true or not, but I'm going to recount the story that was told to us during our tour. And it's the story of the phrase on the rocks. So we're going through this tour and Buffalo Trace is situated with a river behind it. And many of the older distilleries were situated on a river because the water powered the distillery. And so we're going and we got to get up to the tasting and he makes a joke about everything's going to be neat. You don't get the option for on the rocks during this tasting. And he says on the rocks and he goes, does anyone know where the phrase on the rocks originated from nobody knows he says the phrase actually originated here at buffalo trace somebody wanted ice in their whiskey and so rather than putting ice in the whiskey because they didn't have any the bartender walked out to the river with a mallet and smashed a rock that was sitting at the bottom of the river because the river was so cold put it into the whiskey and the whiskey was on the rocks I don't know how true that is, but Ray, it looks like you may have heard of this before. No, I haven't. But okay. I want to meet the guy that walked down to the river and was like, <laughs> ah! Dude, that, that's what I'm saying, right? I, I kind of called the, the glass. This. Yeah. Completely not sanitary. Who gives a yeah. rat's ass, dude? Throw some liquor on it. Let's drink. <laughs> I, dude i think it's so funny and i call bs on it because if i'm a bartender i'm not walking down in the river with a hammer getting my feet all wet busting up a rock it's probably nighttime there are a lot of holes in this story but i've yet to hear the tr other true story so that's the truth hey and you know what that's some good natural flavor that he's adding exactly right? natural flavor minerals and hey you that's know what stuff it's a story that could be BS that I didn't make up. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, there you I'm go. taking it as, as truth. Well, Mitch, this has all inspired me to wonder what the oldest distillery in the world is. Ah. Do you know? And do you have a guess? I would guess somewhere in Ireland. Yeah. I mean, no. I, I don't know what it is, but somewhere in maybe in France. Okay. It's in the Netherlands. Okay. It is Lucas Bowles Distillery. If I butchered that, I apologize. I'm not from the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> but um became operational and I shouldn't say the oldest. The oldest still operating distillery mm -hmm. in the world. Okay, yeah. Uh 1517 or 1575, sorry. Wow. Right? By the Bowles family. Um it is the oldest surviving distillery in the world. Uh, they created over 300 liquor, liqueur and liquor, whatever, recipes. Probably messed that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Liquor but, and uh, liqueur, they're different. Yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, they are. Uh, it's liquor. 
now that I'm looking at the word that I was reading, it's liquor. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're European, um, so it's very possible it's spelled differently. Yeah, yeah but by the 18th, true. so by the turn of the 18th century, so 1700, they had 300 liquor recipes and had started worldwide distribution. 300 wow. recipes. Wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty crazy. That's insane. The 1500. That would be cool to go to. Really cool. I want to tour that place. Yeah, right? me too. And I'm looking at a picture of it and it looks pretty modern. Like it's it's very interesting because I would hmm. anticipate it to look really old. This is a picture of the inside, so I don't know what the outside looks like. I'm sure I could find out with a quick Google search, but Well, I think a lot of these places maintain their look on the outside for the history of it for staying true to their roots but the insides kind of have to update with the times because of the technology they're using because of the aging requirements and all that stuff and then also i don't actually know but i would imagine for federal guidelines and stuff i'm sure they have inspectors that come out and you have to be up to codes and standards for distilling and everything like that it appears to be in a little storefront interesting like on a road huh very interesting it looks very cool they have a little bar inside so we might have to make a trip to the netherlands well social drinkers takes the netherlands that would be pretty fun it would be i'm down yeah i'm down as well um okay so did you guys see that cholula it came out with a hot sauce that is made with a hundred percent tequila and has an ABV of one point eight percent. It's a hot sauce with alcohol in it. Where do I acquire said hot sauce? <laughs> I have a question though. Why would you make one point eight percent ABV hot sauce? It's not gonna like it's not gonna do anything. It's just gonna taste so, like tequila. <laughs> I don't know why they I don't know why they made it, but um they I looked on their website to try and figure out kind of like kind of why like what do you use this for and on their website it said like put it in your paloma or put it in your margarita to be okay, like a so spicy it's for... so it's almost like a bitters kind of but gotcha. hot sauce but like you can actually like put it on your food too so i just found it interesting i've never heard of a the condiment containing alcohol that is interesting yeah i guess it'd be used for sort of a bitter because i know a lot of people put hot sauce in their bloody marys so people are probably going to mm-hmm. use it for that do you have to be t- i assume you have to be 21 to buy it probably yeah yeah probably i think there's some line i think it's zero point it's really low the point point zero zero six or something like that that you yeah. have to be 21 or something so you have to be 21 to buy the hot sauce which is funny but yeah. it it's rolled out nationwide so you should be able to like go to your store and find it i just don't know if they would be selling it on the shelves with hot sauce or if they would be selling it elsewhere i want this i, what I just was want to try through it. my mind was like you said made with 100 percent tequila and then you said 1.8 and i was like <laughs> If I'm going to take tequila shots, 
it's not because I want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's it, you never take tequila shots because you're wanting to take tequila shots you're always forced into them let alone that's like true. a spice i imagine this tasting like a spicy tequila yeah probably but mm-hmm. we need to find out so have to find out taste tests on the podcast we do a lot of those yeah that's we do the best way to do it we do a lot speaking of those. speaking of i'm very in, I'm, I'm enjoying this silverware it's very good and midnight snack yeah, you know? <laughs> and I just want everybody to know that if you have the opportunity to get Silverade chocolate rum, it won't let you down. That's true. It is very good. And I don't even like sweet chocolatey stuff that much, especially drinks, but it is very good. Well, it's still a rum, though. Like, you know, you can get like sweet chocolatey drinks that are like taste like you're drinking like chocolate syrup. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. This is that's like true. you drink it and it's still a rum. You yeah. need the Salvaray chocolate rum with a Cardi B whip shot on top the, of it. These whip shots that you keep talking about, I need some of these whip shots. You can't. They're not doing yeah, free. Make sure I'm not around for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking them. I'm taking them. <laughs> Ray, you're riding to Folly Beach with us. I'm taking them before the ride. All right. uh do you guys know what the three-tier system for distribution is in the u.s uh yes maybe from the newsletter i've probably heard of it i remember it from the newsletter production wholesaling retailing close so i i I, you're really close production is manufacture so same thing I learned of this doing some research on alcohol distribution and retailing, and I had never heard of it before, but I wrote about it in the newsletter. I thought it'd be fun to talk about here. So I won't go too far in depth, but basically before prohibition and during prohibition, anybody and everybody was making alcohol, selling alcohol, putting it in their store. There wasn't really a lot of guideline or law surrounding that. And so one of the stipulations after prohibition, the 21st Amendment ended prohibition in 1933. And the three-tier system for distribution was established. And what it did was it basically put laws in place that said, these types of businesses can manufacture alcohol. These types of businesses can wholesale and distribute alcohol. These types of businesses can retail alcohol. And so that's the three-tier system. There's not much more to it, but I thought it was really interesting because I'd literally never heard of that before. There's manufacturers, there's wholesalers, there's retailers. You can apply for licenses and permits to live in different buckets at the same time, but you have to have licenses and permits to live within those certain buckets. Interesting. This, And I wonder what this law is because I don't, no, for sure. But when we were in Savannah, Georgia, we went to this brewery called Service Brewing. It's really cool. If you ever get the opportunity to check them out, highly recommend it. They're a veteran owned and operated brewery in Savannah. And when we went to the brewery, you had to you had to do a tour. Legally, they had to give you a tour of the brewery if you were going to be drinking there. Yeah. This is something, I don't know every state's laws on this, but basically the state can mandate different things exception-wise to this three-tier system 
to basically accommodate visitors. So in in Georgia, for example, they don't want you to go to the brewery and not be able to drink because what's the point of having you there? But you can't go into that building and drink without doing the tour. So it's kind of their exception to the rule. And every state has different exceptions to the rule with their weird alcohol laws. We don't have to deal with that in Ohio at all. Uh, in Tennessee, we really didn't have to deal with that other than a couple strange retail laws, but nothing crazy. But other states, that's not the case. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. Georgia, many other states, there's a lot of different laws that the state will sometimes make exception to for consumer experience. Oh. Yeah, pretty cool. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> no, I haven't either, and that's actually really interesting. But it made sense. They I laid that, they, you know, it was... I'm sure much, much negotiation to end prohibition. And so it was one of the laws that had to be put in place to put some law and order in the alcohol industry. Well, I can't imagine what a mess it was when we, we, I recently learned that during prohibition, because of religious reasons, you could produce up to 200 gallons of wine in your home. A year per person, per person. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Per person. So if I had a five-person home, I could produce a thousand gallons of wine. I don't know what the age requirements were, or if it yeah. maybe maybe it wasn't per person. Maybe it was per home, but still, two hundred gallons of wine. Regardless, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of wine. That is yeah. Absurd. So <laughs> I imagine when prohibition ended, you had to put all of these different laws and stuff in place to prohibit that from going on and. I'm sure it was a disaster. I can't even imagine. But it's really interesting to learn about all of the like workarounds, the medicinal whiskey, kind of like now we have medicinal marijuana. And like for religious reasons, you could only produce wine, like you couldn't produce beer, but it makes sense because in a lot of religions, wine is like a sacred drink. So it's interesting. Yep. How many do you guys know how many ounces are in your average glass of wine? I'm assuming it's like 12. No. <laughs> <laughs> am i out of my mind yes yeah it's a mitch pour I, yeah that, that's a me pour i think that's... the standard glass of wine is six ounces six six I ounces okay. yeah six so ounces. just so you know um 200 gallons of wine if you pour six ounces is 4266 glasses oh of wine it's a lot of glasses of wine if you divide that by 365, that's 11 glasses a day. <laughs> you start in the morning and you end before bed. Just drink it all day like coffee. That's absurd. Oh my God. That is absurd. That's ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I like it. All right. Is that it? Anybody have anything else? That was all I brought. I don't think so. I'm Alrighty. firmly buzzing. <laughs> the salvarays got him the salvaray got him in the pre-gaming before the pod yeah yeah all right <laughs> all right well i'll take us out of here thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode uh and you want to continue to listen to the podcast make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode drop if you enjoyed the podcast and you want this similar content straight to your news bot news box news um, straight to your email 
uh, we have a newsletter called Shots, and it is essentially the written version of the podcast. It's super fun. It's hilarious, uh, if I don't say so myself. So you can check that out in the uh, description. There'll be a link where you can sign up for that. And then you can follow us on all the social platforms. We're all linked below. We're on literally everything at We Are Social Drinkers. And I think that's it. I think so. Well, cheers with my non-alcoholic tea. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers everybody.